ending. We bless you and we praise. Oh, thank you, Mr. Gary, for praying over those seats. I appreciate it. I meant to, yeah, amen. So, uh, yeah, whenever the Lord moves you to lay hands on chairs and bless them and call people in, we can do that. So, Father, we do thank you for allowing us this privilege of understanding you, loving you, and knowing you. Father, we know and we believe there are people in this neighborhood that need to be here every time we have service. So we thank you for bringing those people, drawing us to them and them to us. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, 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 amen. So I was thinking about something yesterday. I had a conversation with someone. Uh, This was many, many years ago. I think I had just started the ministry here in Detroit and uh, this person was um, uh, their history had been that they had been divorced many years uh, prior to coming to the Lord um, and you know made the comment to me one time she said oh you have such a nice husband and I said well they don't come that way man they don't come that way (laughs) Because I thought what I needed to do was kind of take the stars out of her head a little bit because I knew that she still held um, anger toward her husband even though they had been divorced many, many years. Um, uh, We would ask her if she was praying for his salvation, reconciliation. You always got a bitter answer. And so... It was something that, uh, you know, got to be an obstacle in her life um, because there were opportunities that God would give everybody to do certain things and she was never able to quite, you know, measure up. Well, God told me I was going to do this, that, and the other and those things kind of never happened or if they did kind of haphazardly, sporadically. she didn't have her own place to stay, still live with parents, things of that nature. And you could see where the blessings of God were out of reach um, in her life. Now, there's some of us who who don't even think about basic things being hindered and away from us because of attitudes or, you know, anything like for instance if we are we're angry at somebody we can kind of expect a good life anyhow you understand what i'm saying um you don't expect god to withhold from you you don't expect god to not give you certain things or if if you you do have situations in your life that are troubling you know how to take that to the Lord, go aside from your situation and, and go to the Lord and seek him about, you know, God, is there something that I need to correct here that will cause the blessings of God to flow in my life. But let me tell you why we do that and why some people can't quite get that together. Um, we all already have relationship with God. But the fellowship aspect is something that varies from person to person. 
How often do you go to God with different things that you need in life? How often do you seek him? Are you open with him to find out if your behavior or your attitude is pleasing to him? Are you open to correction in your personal fellowship with God? And when that fellowship is broken or if there's something amiss in your life, do you quickly go to repair that and get that back again so so this we're all related to god when you're born again you are his child but it's the fellowship like sometimes you'll have people say well i was never close to my dad he was real strict and you know that's the fellowship aspect relationship he's still your father you're still his son and and uh, that will never change but it's the fellowship aspect of every relationship that is of utmost importance and it's the fellowship aspect of God with God that is is so important for us and it'll make the difference between uh good and bad right and wrong success and failure contentment and and discontent uh it makes all the difference in the world so for instance if if there's something that i know i'm doing that's not pleasing to god because of the the fellowship that i tend to like to enjoy with him if that's broken i kind of know it immediately you got me you you know right away it's like if you're married to somebody if if they're kind of like a little distant or something you go to well well, what's wrong you know can tell me about it whatever whatever you know whatever your your pattern is but because of the broken fellowship or the strained fellowship you seek to make that right because that fellowship is something you've enjoyed and it kind of completes you and it's important for you for that fellowship to continue. There are some people however that only can fellowship with God to a certain extent and can't go into the deeper understanding of how to keep God pleased with you and and you know how to walk this walk and in a way that's pleasing to him like there are some things people just don't want to think about talk about discuss and that includes God too you see it's like oh that old no good man I was married to I don't want to talk about him and you shut God out of it as well and see I believe this is what happens to many people when you shut God out of fellowship because you don't want to hear what he has to say about this situation this relationship this broken thing this thing that's not right you don't even seek him that there may be another version to the story rather rather than the version you always play to yourself in your head and so that's wrong that's that's you're you're killing your own uh uh mercy in god because you refuse to even entertain that this may not be pleasing to him 
And I think there are many people stuck in little boxes somewhere where God wants you to come out and he wants you to enjoy life with him, fellowship with him, everything with him. But you can't do it by shutting the door to your heart, uh, to God's wisdom, his, his mercy, his love, his compassion, his forgiveness, all of that. You shut the door to all of the good things coming to resolve that old issue uh, because you just refuse to let that door come open does anybody understand what I'm saying here I hope you do because it's important so the Lord spoke to me uh, when I was thinking about this a few days ago you know sometimes you just things go through your brain and you was thinking I was thinking about that person and so I said Lord I wonder where she is now what she's doing blah this blah that and so I recall that conversation I had with her and and the Lord said you were reluctant to tell her why she perceived your husband as being different or nice or kind and he says I want you to begin to tell people it takes love very very simply it takes love see love was what changed my husband to a nice man in her eyes and see many times we're reluctant to say things like that because we don't want to take the glory from God or we don't and it's not nothing to do with that it, when you love somebody you're just doing the basics of what God commands you're obeying a command that's it anybody can do what they're told it doesn't take an extraordinary person to love and the more simple you keep it for people Instead of making it extraordinary, the easier it will be for them to embrace that truth and understand that what they have been doing that they perceive as love is not it. God can help them with that. That's why you're in the kingdom for God to help you with the things that you can't master. And that are foreign for you and not comfortable for you. These things are important for God because he commands it. If he commands it, he as long as you're willing and obedient, he'll help you and you'll get through it. It does not take an extraordinary person to do the love commandment. It does not. It just takes somebody who humbles himself to God and is willing to let God take over every area in their life and in their heart. I mean every area. And if we can allow him into those areas where we think we're right and we don't want anybody challenging us and we don't want, oh, you don't understand what I've been through and you don't know what they did to me. If we can let God in those doors, we'll find that really it just takes love. And we're capable and competent in that because we depend on God who is love. So in John chapter 13, God gives us a new commandment. So we have a new covenant and a new commandment and a new life. So everything has to be new in this new covenant. Even though the, there was glory on the Old Old Testament law, the New Testament law is more glorious. If the old was perfect, it would not have been replaced with the new. 
So when we talk about having a new covenant, covenant, there's got to be new rules. There has to be a new outlook. There has to be a new understanding of what what is required by God. So he says here in John 13, uh, 34, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And this is the kicker, as I have loved you. Well, how do you do that? Well, you got to go to God for help. So this is the thing. He wants us to be so dependent on him that we don't even trust ourselves to love one another. That we don't even trust ourselves to love ourselves without his help. Amen. So he, he wants us to love one another as I have loved you. Well, when you think about that, my goodness, Jesus, you gave your life for us. And he says, I want you to do the same thing for one another. See, we we have so removed ourselves from the eternal truths of God's word that when we talk about sacrificing, laying down, uh, not rising up, it's it sounds crazy to the believer that's running around in the world right now because we have had such a me-centered gospel such a gospel that is centered around my prosperity my faith my needs my success my this my that um it's a very carnal way of looking at a new testament and a new commandment it's really kind of an old testament way of looking at things because that's all they had like when you say prosper to the jew all he thought about was land and houses and all that kind of stuff because there was no spiritual prosperity to be had for the average everyday jew he he could and this is how they knew god was real because they could taste touch feel and sense it in the real realm that's not true of our life with Christ we have spiritual riches the Bible tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and not things but righteousness so he says put the spiritual component ahead of the natural if you'll trust me and do that consistently you'll notice all the natural things are added to your life so really this new covenant is a totally spiritual covenant. It has nothing to do with the natural realm. And you're going to have to trust God to affect the natural realm. But you've got to let go of natural and pick up spiritual first. You cannot hold both of them at the same time. And see, this is where a lot of frustration comes in. This is where a lot of ill temperament comes in among Christians. This is where a lot of goofy posts on Facebook come from. You know, uh, your haters are going to see you prosper. Well, who's thinking about stuff like that? You understand what I'm saying? Uh, you can't trust everybody. Seriously? You know, this is where we live. It's, you mean you've got the spirit of Christ in you and you're afraid of people? You got me? If you really have his spirit, he wasn't scared of anybody and knew he was going to be betrayed. So why are you so hung up and who doesn't like you? Who's You understand what I'm saying? It's a lot of filth 
that gets fed to God's people over and over and over again because we're not smart enough to stay with what he's given us which is a high spiritual realm of living. So we have a new law to go with the new covenant. It's a a new set of rules, high level living because they are spiritual rules. They don't have to deal with things in the natural. They, They deal with things by the spirit and then the natural follows suit. So if you change the the spiritual tone, if you change the spiritual component of your life, you will find that the natural starts to line up because you're living as God wants you to live. But if you keep trying to manipulate the natural and don't take care of the spiritual, it won't happen. Hence, if you don't learn how to love, you don't learn how to let God teach you how to love people, you will be short on everything that you're trying to attain in life. It won't happen. It just won't. So in John 15 and verse 12, he said, this is my commandment that you love one another. In fact, if you go up to verse 7, he tells you how this love is accomplished. He says, abide in me and my words abide in you. So by honoring God's word, feasting on his word, if, if you're born again, Christ lives in you. And you feed that life by abiding in his word. I don't care if that word tells you you're 100% wrong every morning you get up. You ask God for correction and you keep it moving. You got me? And he says let that word live in you. In other words live that word out. Start obeying that word. He said here and it's my father glorified that you bear much fruit. So your fruitfulness really depends on spiritual. Your spiritual condition. Not your natural. As the father has loved me so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Amen. Just continue in my love. And he says if you keep my commandments you'll abide in my love. This cannot be simpler. Just do what I tell you to do. If I tell you not to to argue with somebody, keep your mouth shut. If I tell you to to forgive people, do that. If I tell you to go get somebody a gift, go get them a gift. You understand what I'm saying? Do what I tell you to do. And he says, so shall you be my disciples. So if you uh, are are abide in me, you're my disciple, and and I will take care of you. I will teach you everything you need to know. I'll help this is John fifteen eleven. We're coming down to verse eleven now. We started in seven. He said, These things have I spoken to you that my joy would remain in you. So he tells you to love people so you can have joy. You go around mad at people and see how much joy you have, unless you're really twisted in your head. Nobody gets enjoyment when they're separated from people and people are fearful of them. People don't want to be around them. All that kind of stuff. There's there's nothing there to be joyful of. So he says I tell you that so you can have my joy will remain in you. In other words it won't come and go. You won't have joy based on your circumstances. When he says my joy will remain, it's there all the time as a continual deposit. 
And if you keep keep right with me, if you do what I tell you to do, if you humble yourself and stay close to me, he says, I'll put you in a place of so much joy that it won't be circumstantial. In other words, they can take your house and you still got joy. They can repo your car and you still have joy. You can get an evil report from the doctor and they'll you'll still have joy. That's what he's talking about. Because as an obedient disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are entitled to the fulfillment of every promise that God makes. If you obey him, you are entitled to the fulfillment of everything that he promises you. You'll never be short on anything. What does that mean to obey him? And I'm talking about on a spiritual level. I'm not talking about getting up doing nothing for nobody. Not yet. I'm talking about getting your spirit in tune with God's spirit. And getting your thoughts in tune with his. Renew your mind so that you can begin to think more like God. You can begin to think more on his level. And you'll begin to expect more from him because you become one. You abide in him and his word abides in you. Let that word live in you. When when difficulty comes, let that word, no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises, I shall not die, but I will live and declare the works of the Lord. Let those words live in you. Not just you hear them and it sounds good and you go back thinking like you used to. When words live in you, they linger. You meditate on them. They follow you. They go with you. They pave a way for you. He says, you'll abide in my love if you keep my commandments. It couldn't be simpler. It couldn't be simpler. So just do what I tell you to do. When I tell you forgive people when they offend you, you know, do that. When I tell you to go bless somebody that you don't even know, go do that. If I tell you to go stand outside uh, somebody's workplace and wait for them and, and give them $10, then go do that. You got me? Learn to obey the voice of God and the word of God. And he wants us to have full joy. Now he's, it's like this. Your joy will be circumstantial until you learn how to obey God. Something goes wrong, joy goes right down the crapper. Amen. Because you don't, you haven't learned to obey him in all things. See, if, if we, if we will learn, when the Bible says count it all joy, when you fall into diverse trials or diverse temptations. I don't hear many Christians laugh at all. They go somewhere and she'll tell everybody how bad it is. And get to run in their mouth and want to complain all the time. But the Bible is real clear. It says count it all joy. You should be laughing. You understand what I'm saying? But we look around and all the long faces and we just join the long face crowd. You know. Mm-hmm. And over some of the simplest things. Things that have no eternal value whatsoever. You know, you can, you can walk out and you, the tire on your car is flat. And people run into a, have a fit, have a tirade, run into a tirade always. Well, the only thing you can do is pump the tire up if you're able to do that or go back in the house and sit down. 
or call AAA like like my husband used to tell me. He said, I ain't pumping up no tire. You got your AAA for that. <laughs> call AAA. I'm going, huh? But uh, you know what I'm saying. You, you just We have to live in a place where we are cognizant of the fact that there is a higher way to respond. There's a higher realm to live in all the time. And you can live in that realm. And it's not like God's making you not be human. For all you people that think it's human to have a fit, throw a tantrum, and be upset all the time at the least little thing like that's your right to be like that. I don't know if that's true or not and I don't think that's important. What I think is important is that you obey God and see how your life might turn out if you live the life of obedience. And that's it. That's all it is to it. He offers this to us. In fact he commands it to us. People don't think we live with a God who commands anything. These are some things you must do. You must do them. You just must do them. He can't. He can't call everything uh, an option. He can't. What kind of kingdom would we live in if there were no laws that were commanded? Huh? We'd live in a very sloppy sad place it would be just like the world and so when God says he commands certain things that means that that word is placed on your life and you must obey it everything spiritual that comes toward you where commands are concerned are pushing pushing you toward toward obedience of that command that's why when we're at odds with people, the Holy Spirit puts conviction on us. That's why when we, we can't get along with somebody or in the workplace, the Holy Spirit will stop you and not, not show you any kind of mercy or favor until you get that straightened out. You understand? It's for your good. It's so you don't stay in that same place where he found you so many years ago when you first got saved. You're not left in a place of ignorance where you can't advance to the things that you really want out of life because of disobedience. He helps you to obey the commands of God. And it's a blessing. You don't want to get away with sloppy agape. You don't want to get away with partiality. You you like some people, you forgive some people, some people you don't. You know, you, sometimes we treat sinners in our midst better than we do our own loved ones in, in the, the household of faith. You know, we got to be careful about stuff. You be careful when you like people who don't have as high a spiritual uh, ability as you do. I always like people that don't know as much about God. You understand what it is? It can't really challenge you to come up higher. When they find you in a bad mood, they commiserate with you instead of telling you, now wait a minute, now we're going to pray about this. Let's get this out of the way. huh? You have to be able to hold up a standard so that God, number one, can be glorified. What are we in people's lives for if we're not in their lives to help them? huh? Sometimes when I preach in Cleveland, I Look out there and see my old friend Jan. We've been friends almost 40 years since we were first saved. And she would pray for me and I would pray for her. And we've held a standard 
over the years. That and I look at I said Jan, we still serving God. We didn't think we'd get here, but we're here. We laugh and carry on about it, but we can do that because we've held a standard of obeying the commandments of God. So you can't see. I'd rather have one friend like that than have twenty that would let me just do what I want to do you understand what I'm saying and not really hold me to obeying the same the same God that I say I love and and want to read the word and all that uh, I I can't get any loopholes I can't fall into any uh, any places where I can get away with this and it's not necessary because of my unique circumstance my circumstance is not unique that's one thing we need to understand about life. There's nothing that's happened to you that's not common to man. I mean, you're not unique in your suffering. So once you get yourself off your own little pedestal, you can start to obey God and, and understand what this life is all about. So this was John 15. So we went through that. We, when Jesus says he wants us to love one another, uh, that word that he uses for love is uh, the Greek word agape, which really means a divine love. Now this uh, divine love really means to take pleasure in something or someone. You've got to be able to take pleasure in everybody. You must in order to please God. It means to esteem that person. Which means to consider them valuable. Not just valuable but highly valuable. To treat someone in love means doing toward them what God prefers instead of what you want. So you do what God prefers toward that person and you do what you do by his power and his direction agape really is defined by God so you can't define God's love you have to go to him and find out that's why it's so important sometimes that we not try to make up something you know how sometimes you're mad at somebody and you don't feel good about it. And then your mind snaps and says, oh, I'll go and do so-and-so. And you, you know, just putting lipstick on a pig, you know, basically is what you're doing. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It's still dirty and not clean underneath. Because you refuse to go to God. Because see, what we think... In our heads is that God's going to make us do something that's going to embarrass us or cost us something. And see really in, in reality that should not be a consideration at all. Because if you, if you have a heart of love, love is willing to do whatever. Because the relationship's more important than you. And how you feel about it. So many times we'll know the right thing to do and not do it because we're too embarrassed to admit we've done something wrong. You understand what I'm saying? And so we just, we just live that way. And so it's like picking up the old way of the sinner where we used to avoid people. 
you know, because we were mad at them and we wanted them to know we were avoiding them. You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. And so we have to understand that God has to define what love is for us in every situation. It, it has to be left up to him to tell us what it is we need to do in order to get back right in that situation. He has to call a shot. Sometimes, you know, we'll we'll rush to to fix stuff because we don't like the anxiety of having things not fixed. Uh, and and really, the, the, it's not so much something you need to do toward that person, but something you need to do toward God to get rid of that feeling of of anxiety. You know, like if I know I've done something wrong, I'm wrong about something. And if if I don't have the the opportunity to go to that person and make it right, your first stop needs all the time needs to go to God. Even with you, when you know you've done something wrong toward that person, you need to go first to God. God can fix up so much stuff on His own without your intervention and screwing stuff up. You got me? He can do so much. How do you think things get right in this world if God's not constantly patching up stuff that we've messed up? Remember the the kid in school everybody picked on and you were in the crowd too? Hmm? Remember the the groups, you know, when you get in high school, you're with this group, that group, that group, and you were in the group that everybody thought was popular and you ignored. And that kid lived next door to you all your life. You got in school and ignored him. You got me? You know what I'm saying? How do you think God can can go back and let that kid not be hurt by what you did? Now that you're a Christian, you know better. Huh? You don't think he can go back and repair that? He repairs stuff in us. Huh? Things that happen when we're very small that hurt us or made us feel. Or suppose you were the kid on the outside and everybody else thought they were cool. When you come to Christ he can fix that. And sometimes he'll fix it before you even get saved. Which means maybe somebody in that situation got saved and repented and God had permission now to go back and fix up all that stuff. He's fixing up stuff up for us all the time folks. If he waited for us to get it straightened out and go fix everything it wouldn't happen. Huh? Sometimes there are things you need to do but you have to wait until God opens the door for it, for it to happen. And we're too anxious Trying to fix it up like we're in charge of everything. You know, let God call the shots on these things. Let him go in and fix things up. You know, you, you have to. You have to do that, folks. You have to do that. So anyway, love is the higher law. Got to know that. Matthew 5, turn there. It's very familiar to everybody. The Beatitudes as we call them. But this is where Jesus is teaching on the new covenant. And he's telling people how to be blessed. And he's saying under the old covenant you had certain laws. But this one is going to work the reverse. You're going to do things opposite of the way you wanted to do them. Under the old covenant. 
and that's and these are are spiritual things they have nothing to do with the natural they're all spiritual poor in spirit that's Matthew 5 3 theirs is the kingdom of heaven in other words to be poor in spirits mean to be a humble person it means to know that you got needs and God's the only one who can meet that need well you're in line for the kingdom when you got that much sense you're in line to to stand in God's presence he said blessed are they, they that mourn they will be comforted Men, sometimes people who are who have lost someone are are treated unkindly, you know, by people who are are living well. And and Jesus says that those people will be comforted. Blessed are the meek; they will inherit the earth. Amen. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness; they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful; they shall obtain mercy. The pure in heart shall see God. Peacemakers shall be called the children of God. It's very important. It's important that you not be the one to run to the pastor and tell her everything wrong that somebody's doing. You got me? You know, peacemakers. And and the other thing, if you're a peacemaker, you don't go and talk bad about your pastor behind their back. You understand what I'm saying? If you're a peacemaker. So you understand what God is talking about. In other words, check your spirit for evil or good before you open your mouth. That's the basic way to look at it. Do you mean that person well or do you mean them harm? Well, I didn't mean any harm. I was just saying, no, it's somewhere inside of you, you decided that you didn't like what this person was doing. You don't agree with what they're doing. You don't. You know, take to what they're doing and you decided to express that. You understand? Well, you made the decision all the way down the line. So Jesus says, stop doing that. Be a peacemaker. If nothing else, keep your mouth shut. But get your heart right too. They shall be called the children of God. Those which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Theirs will be the kingdom of God. So there are going to be some things that God is going to call you to do that people will not agree with. You know, I mean, you, you're just going to have to stand and do what God wants you to do. You know, for, you know, the first people that will turn against your family members. Because they're not comfortable with this God you say you like. <laughs> or it doesn't take all that. That's the first thing they want to say. It don't take all that to serve God. Well, what does it take? Huh? See, it takes different things for different people. It does. My walk cannot compare with yours, you know, and vice versa. I don't know where God has you. I know some things. You know, as a pastor, you have to know some things uh, because you'd have to know how to help people to stay on track. But pretty much where you're at is different for each individual. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You know people going to blessed are you when they revile you. Say evil things against you falsely. Because you're obeying God. Huh? How many of us have felt to give certain things in the offering. And the husband or wife didn't want you given. Or you know or somebody else in your household. You know and yeah, I know why you got to take all your money and give it to them people. You know and you're not even giving what you, you feel you want to give. You know 
And so it says rejoice and be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven. Ah. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Don't compromise. Don't tone it down. Don't scale it back. Because they're angry at you. Just rejoice and be glad. Once you rejoice and find gladness, you'll find that on the other side of that persecution is another door open for you to share Christ. If you don't rejoice and you don't know how to find gladness and persecution, you'll stop witnessing. You'll stop obeying God. You'll start doing the bare minimum to get by in the kingdom rather than doing what your heart desires to do. Why? Because you'll feel like if somebody's watching you, if they're not watching me, well, if, if I don't do anything, they won't be mad at me. And we want we want the false peace instead of the peace of God. The peace of God is what you carry in your heart all the time. And it never leaves you. And it's not dependent upon somebody liking or disliking you or complaining or not complaining about you. <laughs> huh? It's amazing. I, I, I have a nephew. I think he's a oh, Stephen. He's somewhere between Mac and Tony. Mac Tony. That's what uh, Bridget used to call him when she was little. Mac Tony, come here. <laughs> <laughs> like a McMuffin, McTony. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> but uh, uh, he, uh, I remember one time. Uh, okay, I remember what it was. Uh, this was many years ago, and I saw him driving down the street, and he's just honking the horn, honking the horn. And so the car he was driving was a car I had sold him. And then I remembered he hadn't finished paying me for it. So I pulled up. No, I stopped or something like that to talk to him. And I don't know if I was passing him by or something. But I punched outside. I said, where my money at for this car? Don't be honking at me in my car. You owe me money for it. Oh, auntie, auntie. I said, oh, yeah. But he pulled over and we talked a little bit. And I noticed he had a crutch. And I told him, I said, you see. I said, what is wrong with you? Well, it never healed yet from, from when I heard it. He was in a car, a motorcycle, something. And um, I said, well, let me pray for you. <laughs> you punch him first and then pray for him. You know what I'm saying? God is good. But uh, anyway, I prayed for him. And uh, he called me back like two days later. He said, Auntie. I said, what? I had a miracle. I said, really? So he told me he was on his way to the mall. And he... He took his crutch in, walked in on his crutch, and somewhere in the mall he put the crutch down. He walked all the way to his car. Then he remembered he had left his crutch in the mall. So, so he goes and he said, I left that. He said, I'm healed. I don't need that crutch anymore. And so, yeah. And so uh, throughout the years he has always mentioned to me. He said, oh no, he said, I don't play around with this this uh, healing stuff. He said, I know that's real. He said, I got friends that laugh at, he said, they'll talk about Benny Hens. And man, you watch that, that guy phony. I said, man, don't talk about that. That stuff is real. And he gave his testimony. <laughs> Won't commit to Christ, but he gave it his testimony. But I just share that to share with you that. God works 
in these things if we learn how to keep things straight in the spirit. See, He's got a testimony that he shares with people and he's not even born again. You know, or not serving God in the way that that God wants him as a committed believer. You understand what I'm saying? And so there's degrees of walking with God. There's degrees of testimony. But I can tell you that I've never held back from sharing Christ with my family. I've never held back because, you know, it seemed like too much or, you know, they don't want to hear this or what, what, you know, you stop out. I'm always seeking to find ways to win them to the gospel. You know what I'm saying? When they come over for Thanksgiving, that's a lot of work. You know what I'm saying? To prepare all this food and have people over, keep the house clean. Thank God I have help with that. But it is, and and it would be easy for me to say, oh well, I don't feel like it this time or something like. But I keep, I see that as my consistent appointment with God to share Christ with the family. And I've tried all kind of different things too. Trust me, and I never stop. God give me a creative idea for how to talk about you today or share you or, or something like that. So it, it's in, in these are seeds that if you keep planting seeds, God will, will uh, cause those seeds to grow and he will cause them to prosper. They just will. Um, but if you get offended or you're worried, if they're going to be offended if you mission Jesus and you got, they've got you, Pinned down to where you can't even ask God to raise you up and give you a creative way to share Christ with them this time. I'm going to be around them this time. God, show me how to minister to my on their way to hell family. Because they are. Until till God does something, he does it through believers. And that's you and that's me. We're not in the family with these people just to sit around and wait for somebody else to do the job. But if we're not confident, see that's why you got to count these things joy. Because if you take them personally, if you get offended and you think you can't say anything about Jesus in front of my family, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're the you're the one who's sent there to lead them to Christ. Well, that went over real big, but anyway. You gotta you gotta be the one that undertakes that as your responsibility. See, this is why we don't have a lot of of uh success in God's kingdom. You know, we're good at letting a handful of people do all the work, <laughs> you know, doing this, doing that. Uh, you know, especially when it comes to putting your life on the line for somebody. See, when you withstand persecution, you're really putting your life on the line for their salvation. And until you're willing to do that, there's still more that you need to give up in order to get in that place where God wants you to be. You have to learn how to resist certain things that might be offered to you because they're compromise. You know, you you really do. You can't compromise with people. You can't, you know, get around them. They want to drink. They want to do this. They want to do that. You know, you you got to absent yourself and don't, under any circumstances, have alcohol with a sinner. Don't do that. I don't care if you'd like to have a little wine for your stomach's sake, whatever you say it, you don't share that with sinners. You just shot your witness. 
You know, and it's hard to retrieve that once it's gone. You know, you're you're down in their world now. And they've won because they start looking at you like somebody that they don't have to respect. They don't have to listen to you. There you go with that religious stuff again. Shut up. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, because you don't know how to maintain your, your vessel and keep your witness. So you don't drink anymore. Just tell them I don't drink. Sinners do that. <laughs> I had a girlfriend that never drank. She didn't feel self-righteous about it. She just said she never did. You know what I'm saying? We were sinners at the time. So, you know, and, and you try to, uh, you know, when you people say that, you automatically feel stupid. So you try to quiz them about, well, what happened? You don't, you mean you really know? Uh-uh. Oh, no, I don't. And she cut the conversation short because she, she stood her ground, you know. Even as a sinner. So people have their reasons. They don't have to do everything that you do. You understand me? You, you keep yourself on your side of the line. So when we're talking about loving people as God would love them. Jesus would would give mercy to sinners. But he did not sin. He did not go into the den where they are and partake of their sin. You got me? Uh, he always maintained <clears throat> his godly position uh, among people. So um, so love is a higher law. It, it really is. It, it's going to take you into a realm where the devil can't hinder you. He can't find you. He can't damage you in any way. Why? Because love is the fulfillment of God's law. Love is righteousness. Amen. It just simply is. And so when you love God, you obey his commandments, you do it by faith, that's righteousness. And there's no law against that. So there's nothing the devil can ever, as long as you're doing what God tells you to do, there's nothing the devil can ever do to harm you or hinder you. You quit obeying God and you're, you're dead meat. You know, he's got you. But it, all he can do is pick at you, try and intimidate you, uh, make fun of you, whatever he does, to see if he can pull you out of your position of righteousness. That's what that's for. So if he can move you out of that position, then he can, can, uh, influence you to lose your, your stature and your grounding in God. So you want to maintain your position in God at all times. So, in 1 Corinthians 13, if we'll go there. Now, in Matthew 5.17, Jesus said this, Don't think that I've come to destroy the law. Now, you'll find a lot of people want to take the Old Testament and throw it out completely. But he says, I'm not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. To show us that we can fulfill it too. So we still have the law to fulfill. you got to obey God. You've got to obey the commandments. You can't go around damaging people and hurting people and all that kind of stuff and think it's okay. You know, everybody makes mistakes of some kind. You know, we're just living on this earth the best we know how, but God has a way to make it right. And so God wants us to always be willing to obey the law. Amen. So, so, and God's word will always come to pass. 
always. So when you stand for God's word, you stand for something that's always going to work. It's always going to be there. And it's always going to uh, be there to help everybody that obeys the word of God. So um, uh, it, Matthew 5 ends with verses 44 through 48. I forgot to read those. Matthew 5. 44 through 48. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies. He said, Now you heard it said in old time, you can love your, you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for those which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your father which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise. In other words just like God doesn't prohibit your neighbor for having a sunny day like you want to have too. He said he wants you to love people. He said he doesn't withhold good from from uh, people who are doing bad. They live on the earth. They're entitled to the blessings of the earth. So he says he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you. In other words you giving love should be as automatic as the sun coming up and rain falling from the sky. It should be an automatic thing with all of us. It shouldn't be something we got to think about or, you know, well, they did wrong and you don't know and they caused a lot of trouble in the family and yada, yada, yada. You know, who hasn't caused trouble for somebody at some time? So if we, if you love them that just love you, what reward do you have? He said, it's not hard to do. He said, the, the sinners do the same thing. And if you salute your brethren only, what more do you have? Uh, what do you more than the others? He said, the publicans do that. He said, but be perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the whole thing with obeying God is to imitate him in all things. He would never tell you to do something that he won't do. So if you're going to be an imitator of God, you're going to have to obey his commandments in all that you do. Amen. So then 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us what love actually is. And I, uh, I pull this from the message translation because, uh, you know, some of the other older translations, you know, we need to, uh, sometimes an up to date language helps you to understand it better. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Message. There's another one. Voice. Uh, some of the more modern ones are, I think, help, uh, and they are consistent in understanding with the King James. They just embellish it a little bit more. And so he's talking about spiritual gifts first, uh, in comparison with spiritual fruit. So what what uh, uh, the writer is saying here. He says, I know that you people are excited about the spiritual gifts. And you should be. Uh, and this is always a challenge for the body of Christ. We will go play with the new toy and leave the foundational things behind. And so that's what 
Paul is saying here. Like for instance if you prophesy and you don't have love in your heart for people. You'll wind up giving them number one your faith to find really a pure word from God is going to be a little diminished. So you'll probably start playing around the superficial fringes. God is going to promote you, going to open doors, you know, all that, you know, the the non-committal kinds of prophecies that people skirt around with. Uh, and if you don't love people, your motive behind that word won't be what it needs to be to get a real word and a pure word from God. You got me. Uh, some of the best words you can get from God are ones that don't you don't plan. You know, rehearsing your head and uh, try to get something, you know, that sounds real good and all down pat and everything. Uh, if God's going to use you that way. Uh, some people, all they want to do is prophesy and that's wrong. You know, there's something not right with that. Uh, sometimes people want to tell other people how to live and, you know, have something errant inside of them. And so what God wants us to know is that a lot of the things that we get excited about, like the gifts of the Spirit, are going to pass away. But love is the only thing that's going to abide forever. And so if you had to do a comparison, which you don't have to do, but many times you're forced to because sometimes people get more excited about some things than others. See, one of the things that that I've noticed about prophecy, the way people get in error with it, is they they think it's something that's going to draw attention to themselves. Because when you get in an assembly and they'll give you the mic and everybody else is quiet while you speak... The, the carnal mind looks at that and covets it because they're getting attention. You understand what I'm saying? And so the more self-motivated you are in what you're doing, the less accurate it is and the more polluted it is. You got me? And so uh, it, it it's one of those things that you have to really study and understand and know who you are in order to handle certain things accurately and the best way to do that is to walk in love if you can walk say for instance somebody you know is a prominent person and I can't tell you the ministers that you can see just get all excited because so and so comes to my church I'm so-and-so's pastor. This little guy that's Justin Bieber's pastor. He's not much older than he is. You understand? Justin Bieber needs to be pastored by somebody that's in their 50s and 60s. Who's seen everything is not excited about being the flavor of the month somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? But he goes there because there he seems to be accepted there. You know, he's not really praying. I don't think about where he's supposed to go because you can see a disaster in the making. I can remember uh, we were in a church and there was a, a professional basketball player that was supposedly a member but he never came we never saw him well he would get the pastor's private time what what kind of what kind of relationship is that you don't come you're not a part of the congregation you don't come in to worship god with everybody else you can take a pastor off by themselves and talk to them about who knows what you know what i'm saying it's just it's kind of crazy you know, if God sends people to you, He sends them to the congregation, folks. It's, 
There are no two ways about it. This is nonsense. Why? Because God, we have a God who's not partial. Love shows no partiality. Now Jesus would go to different people's homes, but they were inviting him for dinner, inviting him for a meal, or they would want him to come in there and preach. You know, a crowd of people would start to gather around and all that kind of stuff. He took the gospel wherever the Father told him to take it, but he didn't have like a private audience for Caesar or for Herod or for somebody that was important and prominent. If they wanted the word, they followed the multitude, just like he did, you know. Uh, but so anyway, um, but. This is the thing about love. Love is no respecter of persons. It's not partial. So Paul talks starts by talking about tongues again like he did with the Corinthian church several times. Because they needed understanding of the gifts of the spirit and what the gifts. You can, you can imagine this was new to all of them. And so they needed correction so forth and so on. And they needed to be encouraged in the gifts. But they also needed to understand that the gifts without love is not the way God wants us to go. And so what what Paul is saying here to covet gifts they were what they were doing they were jealous of each other they were jealous of who got the prophesy they got a jealous about each other's ministry and so forth and so on where gifts are concerned because gifts do stand out and so and but fruit is long lasting so fruit is everlasting and the thing of it is all Christians can exhibit fruit not all will be used in the gifts and we could be but not all and we know that he says though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and don't have love I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal though I have the gift of prophecy and all understand all mysteries and all knowledge now nobody has this so Paul is exaggerating here he says you can have the maximum of the gifts but if you don't have love you're nothing he says though I put all my goods to feed the poor and so forth give my body to be burned it profits nothing because if I don't have love I am nothing. Well love is your evidence that God lives in you. So if you don't have evidence that God lives in you and you can't demonstrate that. You lose your effectiveness everywhere you are. Think about the opportunities we have to obey God that don't entail prophesying or having a gift of the spirit in operation or or praying for a sick person all of the opportunities we have to demonstrate the love of God and be obedient to him and the gifts have no place right there in that situation understand what I'm saying so this is this is very important the other thing too is if you don't have love even though you have gifts they will not get you to the place where they manifest if you don't love people how are they going to get to you and you get to them because nothing will be there to draw you to that person compassion won't be there nothing that that will enable uh, the gifts of the spirit really to be turned on will be operating in your life and so this is the 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 whole issue of of uh, uh success or failure as far as god is concerned so we say that love <coughs> 
Number one, considers the other person above yourself. Love always considers the other person above yourself and does not complain. Consider the other person. Sometimes we resent having to put what we want aside long enough to take care of the needs of another individual. But it considers the other person above yourself and does not complain. You can you can only do this consistently and successfully if you know God will take care of your needs. If you have any doubt that God will take care of you if you put yourself aside and your needs aside and your wants aside and you take care. For how long Barb? You see what I'm saying? See that's that's that little voice in your flesh that puts a limit on God's love. It doesn't really trust. See we think God is not going to take care of us if we devote ourselves consistently to another person. Don't think so. I think probably some of the most loving people are people we never meet. You know, you think about the policeman that lays down his life for mere strangers or the soldier that goes on the battlefield and doesn't even know the people he's going to defend. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, They're willing to lay down their lives. I mean, that's great love, but we seldom give them credit for that. I think sometimes love is the most uncredited thing. And rightfully so. Let me put it this way. To a degree. Because God is your reward when you do that. So you'll hear people who are in high risk jobs. Like people who are policemen or firemen. uh, and, And they'll say well it's what I'm called to do. I'm just doing my job. I'm no hero. I'm just doing my job. See they minimize the impact of it. Because somehow spiritually God's already taken care of them. For them to even want to do that, there has to be some um, uh, uh, something of God there reassuring them that it's not in vain. Reassuring them every day that they can go out and do their job and not have to feel shortchanged and not have to feel, uh, like, like they're not, it's not worth, you know, it's not worth anything. People don't appreciate me, all that kind of stuff. That has to be moved out of the way and I think the only person that can move that spirit of, of intimidation and mocking and all that out of your thinking is God. So he gives them a grace. To do their jobs. I think he gives soldiers a grace. He gives he gives law enforcement people a grace. He gives them all a grace to do their job. Without grumbling, complaining, putting their lives in jeopardy because of a bad mood. All of that. And and I think for, for most of them it's more about finding the grace of God to do their job. Than trying to keep themselves motivated, pumped up, pepped up. All of that. These are people who live in a high level of spiritual contentment. Whether they know God or not. That grace to do what they do puts them in a high level of spiritual contentment. It has to. 
or they wouldn't get up every day and do that job consistently over and over. You get to do a job that's pretty much destroying you emotionally half the day and you can bounce back and there's a grace all over that for that. You see what I'm saying? We just discovered, discovered, we just acknowledged post-traumatic stress disorder. Which many of them have because I think they, they can't find the grace, you know, to, to do that job effectively. Some are affected by it, some are not. The ones who can find that pers- perfect place of grace to do that job probably aren't affected by it as much as others. You got me? And then God has to come come back and find a way to repair them so that they and he does it through them encouraging and supporting one another. You know, you understand what it's been like. You got through it. How do you do? You you understand what I'm saying? It's done through brotherly love. And so we got to understand these things, folks. There are some people who really do live in a high level of spiritual uh, attainment and may not even understand that they're graced to live there. But they somehow find that place of grace where they can go and do that job that is it is laying down their lives for somebody. Not just for a friend, but for a total stranger. They lay down their lives for somebody who's maybe tried to kill them or something like that or, or wishes them ill and they still take care of those things. So, so love considers the other person above yourself. You can only do this consistently and successfully if you know that God will take care of you. So whether it's in a marriage, in a family setting, uh, extended family, siblings, whatever it is, you can only be consistently loving those people if you know God will take care of you. You got to get that straightened out with God. You got to have that peace about that, and you got to know that God is the one who will take care of you, even when relationships are not satisfying. And that's what we're all afraid of. We're afraid that if we put extend ourselves, we won't get anything back, or if we get something back, they'll be in control of it. We won't get enough. And we're always afraid for our little old selves. Uh-huh. It's true. It's true anyway. You know what I'm saying? So you're going to have to learn. Your biggest job will not be uh, learning how much to do, <laughs> but learning to let it go once you've done it so that God can have that. And that will come back as a blessing to you. Other than that, it will not come back as a blessing to you. If you do anything grudgingly, if you do anything with with without the full force of love and faith behind it it's going to come back as something that that won't be pleasing to you got me i can remember many things that i thought you know my husband should do more of you know he should do this or he should do that and most of them he never did you understand what i'm saying now do i take the time to pray about these things or do I just say God well if if you if I need that done you'll make sure it gets done you understand what I'm saying um, 
you know people say well well you should pray about that and 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 god will do because god the word says blah 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 you know what i'd prefer to leave it up to god's discretion as to what i need you know maybe i i don't need to be so concerned about what he does toward me but be more concerned about what i do toward him because i think once you get your eyes off of what your responsibility is you run the risk of losing the whole the whole ball game you understand what i'm saying so sometimes these little irritations are distractions from your main purpose see i can only control what i do i can't control what that other person does but i can trust god that if i do the right thing then it'll work out he may not tell that person to do what i expect they ought to do like who am i but i know that i can find a place of contentment if i believe that god is providing everything that i need in life and the necessary things you got me and so it's one of those things where you'll start you'll you'll always be finding out things about yourself You'll be finding out that, you know, sometimes you can really be petty about things. That you can expect, you'll think you're in the word and you understand what the word means and you don't understand much about the word at all. And so when we can expect things from people that are so far out of whack from what God wants them to do for us, you know, it's crazy. And so we have to keep ourselves focused on what, what, what our end is you obey God but you must trust that he is going to take care of you if you don't think he's going to take care of you you'll be always grumbling complaining and whining about why you have to do all the obedience why do I have to forgive all the time why do I have to cook and clean up and do all this why do I have to so zip it but but trust god you got to know he's taking care of you you got to know that if you don't know that like the lord was telling me i i was i noticed throughout um the history of our conferences you know first years we had the conference we we mostly um focused on a relationship you know people's relationship to god and and then we'd step more into the prophetic we found ways to express uh the messages that god gave us in different ways we had prophets that sang we had prophets that prophesied prophets that rap we had prophets that mind we had prophets that were painters and all kinds of stuff and and showing god told me to showcase the prophetic gifts in the body of christ and that's what we did they were always on display so that people can see and know and understand what the prophet's office consisted of you know you have to teach people what what these things are and then i noticed that more and more prophecies had to do with his relationship to the bride and how much he loves us unconditionally and so i was asking god about it recently and i said lord i said everything that we do is about love he said if you don't know in this dark time that i love you he said you will not make it until the end he said i am preparing a bride that i can present that the father can present faultless before the throne he said and i want my people faultless spotless 
just like me. He said you're not going to know that if love is not the foundation of our relationship. You don't know God loves you. You're not going to make it. Because that's the devil's. His quest is to separate us from the love of God. Not from God because we'll always be born again. But if he can get you to live like you don't know God. Like God doesn't love you and doesn't care about you. If he can get you at odds with God over something small and petty. Like whether or not you get a a four bedroom house or a two bedroom house. You understand what I'm saying? Or whether you get this dream job or that dream job or whatever. You know, It's ridiculous sometimes the things that we fall out with God about. So love considers the other person above yourself. First and foremost. Love is full of patient kindness. Patient kindness. That means you do it over and you're kind all the time. Over and over and over again. Amen. It's just no limit. Love has no limit. So you can't say well I'm done with that because I tried. They never responded. (laughs) Responded to what? That little chicken stuff you call love. Oh my goodness no. I don't blame them. Huh? Seriously. We're deceiving ourselves as we think that we can fool people into thinking we really care about them. And we're throwing out crumbs to see if they'll. Because we don't want to give anything big you know. Don't want to do anything. You don't want to do anything that's going to hurt you. You want it all to be easy see. Let them show some. You get some skin in the game. (laughs) So it's patient kindness. The love of God never gives up and it has no limits to it. So we can't say we've done enough. Can we? We do it all the time don't we? But we're not supposed to. Because if you're really operating in the love of God. It has no limit. And it's patient kindness. Amen. It, it's a kindness that endures even when it's, it's challenged, criticized, reviled. All of that. It still endures anyway. Because love is so much bigger than humanity. It's so much bigger than faults. It's so much bigger than pride. It's so much bigger than any everything that we could could imagine that would come against us but but we're gonna have to stop because i didn't realize how long it's been i've gotten through half of not even half beginning but anyway um we'll we'll take it up again we'll finish this but you know just want to amen make it it takes love amen that's that's what it takes folks it takes love father we thank you for giving us an understanding of your love and and how we fall short but we don't have to because you're there loving through us loving among us and loving us so we love you lord we thank you and we honor you for that in jesus name amen and praise god amen amen amen